Okay, please open the Machs with the Tashlich, which is on page 291. So today's class I wanted to delve a little bit into the practice of Tashlich, the reasons, the meaning, etc. But perhaps let's start from just reading, the, uh, seeing what Tashlich is. The first day of Rosh Hashanah, or on the second day if the first occurs on Shabbos, after the Mincha prayer, before sunset, it is proper to go to a well or spring that contains fish, for water symbolizes kindness and fish an ever-open eye, and recite the 13 divine attributes of mercy mentioned in the verses Mikael Kamecha, which correspond to the 13 divine attributes of Hashem Hashem Kerachum V'Kemer, while saying each attribute in the verses, Mikael Kamoicha, keep in mind, but do not articulate the corresponding attribute printed above it in small type. Then recite the verses, Min which correspond to the nine attributes in the verse, Hashem Arachapayim, printed above it in small type. See additional laws on page 332. Um, so what that means is like this. What we have here, the main text of Tashlich, are three verses. Hold on. Three verses. Three verses from the end of Micha. Micha is one of the prophets. Um, the last three verse verses. Let's let's look at the left of the English side of the page. Um, one, two, three, four, five. Sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six. That is one verse. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, forgives transgression for the remnant of his heritage? Who does, he does not maintain his worth forever, and he desires to do kindness. That is the third to last verse of the book of Micha. Then the next verse is 7, 8, and 9. He will again show us mercy. He will suppress our iniquities, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. What page? Page 291. And the English side? The third, the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. The very last verse of Micha is oh, numbers 10, 11, and 12, and 13. Um, shows faithfulness mm-hmm. to Jacob, kindness to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of yore. Now, we all are familiar with the concept of the 13 attributes of mercy. We say them during slichas, we say, say them in many, many prayers throughout the year, on Yom Tif, when we open the Ark, etc., etc. Hashem Hashem Kerachem Luchanam. Actually, um, I'm just going to uh, maybe spoil your appetite a little bit, but we're not. I'm just going to tell you that if you read the verses, there are various opinions of exactly what the th- count of 13 are and how it works, but we're not going to get into that right now. What it says over here is that these last three verses of Micha correspond to the 13 attributes of mercy. And what they've done in this printing of the Machsev, they, they split it up very clearly to these three verses into 13, corresponding to the 13 attributes of mercy. And on top of it, you have in small print the words of the Torah that talk about, right? So in Parshish, um, what are the 13 attributes? In Parshish uh, Kisisa. In uh, Exodus chapter 31 or 32, something like that, 
Um, oh, it says here, 34. Yeah, that's the footnote number two, Exodus 34. Yeah, those are the 13 attributes of mercy. And they correspond to these 13 verses in Micha, these three verses in Micha. So, the, for example, the number one, who is a God like you, that corresponds to Lord, the Lord, benevolent God. That's the first of the 13. Pardons iniquity, that's compassionate. So, while we are, during Tashlich, while we say these three verses, we, like it says in the introduction, we have in mind, we do, do not articulate, but keep in mind the corresponding of the 13 attributes, which it says on top. Um, then we say um, uh, uh, three verses or four verses, what is this? Uh, four verses from Tehillim, um, which correspond also to nine of the 13 attributes, and that's again number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine over there. Um, so that should, sh- yeah, is that clear so far? Yeah. Okay. Um, some of the correspondence, so, so some things are obvious, how, the, how one cor- um, uh, corresponds to the other. Like, I don't know, number eight, he will, su- let, let's just read them through. Who is a God like you? That's like benevolent God. Pardons iniquity, he's comp- that means he's compassionate, forgives transgression, he's gracious. For the remnant of his heritage, so here it's a bit, you have to read it like this. Four and five together are for the remnant of his heritage. He does not maintain his wrath forever. And somehow, that slow to anger is somehow split into two. So like I said, we're not getting in that, we're not going to have time now to, to study how exactly how the 13 work, but at least just to see the gist of this, how this one corresponds to the other. Um, then number six, see some of them are more obvious. Uh, he desires to do kindness, that's very obvious, bonding kindness. He will again show us mer- mercy, perhaps a little bit less obvious. He will suppress our iniquities, and you will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. Yep, yeah. also related. If he gives them for two thousand generations, okay. Anyway, you you get the you get the idea. Um, I'll point out that the word the the, the the name of this prayer is Tashlich, and that word comes from um, what's listed here, number nine, part of the verse was Tashlich Yom You will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Um, that's where we get the name Tashlich from. You will cast Tashlich. In the in the puzzle, it's v'sashlich, but we call it tashlich to cast into the sea. Now, um, the introduction to this uh, that we read at the top of the page is actually paraphrased from the Alter Rebbe Siddur. This is what, what the Alter Rebbe himself wrote, except that it's not exact. There's a number of things missing, um, um, which it does say in the Siddur, which we'll see later on, um, which we'll see soon. Okay. But that is the, the, the main thing of Tashlich, is these verses. And then we also say Psalm 32, which we also say every Shabbos and Davening, so that's familiar. Then we say the verse, yeah, The middle paragraph on page 292, They shall do no evil, nor shall they, shall they destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a reference to the coming of Mashiach. That when Mashiach comes, like the Rambam famously ends off his book, and we'll be finishing it in the three-chapter-a-day three cycle, we're finishing it this week on Friday. Um, so this, um, 
This verse refers to when Mashiach comes, that the world will be full of knowledge as the seabed is full of water. Um, so as we're standing at the water, we mention this verse. And then there is a Yehirotzin that we say, asking Hashem that um, this should be an auspicious time before you, and the 13 attributes which we have read should um, accomplish whatever they are able to accomplish. We should have a good year, etc., etc. The Alter Rebbe actually says in the Kutetera, there's a Maimah where the Alter Rebbe says that the 13 attributes of mercy that Micha said are on a higher level than the 13 attributes that Moses said, that are written in the Torah. Because the ones that Moses was saying, I mean, it, it says it here in sort of Kabbalistic language, but I think the idea is that the 13 attributes that Moses was saying were talking about saving the Jewish people's life. So it was about their physical safety, being compassionate to their physical needs. Whereas Micha is talking on a much higher level, um, compassionate to the Nishamas, to the spiritual needs, and therefore the 13 attributes of Micha are more sublime. Um, if I'm understanding this correctly, again, like I said, it's uh, quite Kabbalistic here in the Maimon. Micha is one of the 12 prophets. In the book of Trey Osar, I believe, one of them is Micha. Okay? Micha. No. Okay, then at the very end of the page of 292, it says, Shake the corners of the Talit Katan. Shake the corners of your tzitzis. Doesn't say why. Okay, that's, that's what we have in the, in the, printed in the Machsa. Now, before we go on to what I have to say, what do you guys think about Tashlich? What comes to mind when you think of Tashlich? What's the significance of Tashlich? Why do we do Tashlich? Why do we shake our tzitzis? What's going on over here? Any ideas? It's casting off the sins in a symbolically physical manner. And some people throw some kind of thing into the water to attract the fish. I assume this, this shaking of the corners... Well, was sorry, say that again about the fish? Some people throw in something to the fish. What is that? Like bread or something to what? attract the fish. Why are we doing that? I'm assuming that you want the fish to absorb the sins. Okay. And I assume the shaking the corners of the talus is somehow detaching the sins physically. Okay, so Dan is suggesting that the concept of tashlich is that we are symbolically throwing away our sins into the water, and somehow there's a concept of the fish coming to eat the, it, it consume the sins, and symbolically shaking it off of our tzitzis. So, as we'll see, there's truth. I believe that's what Dan said, right? Yeah. Okay, so we'll it's see. It's a symbolic structure. No, there's many people that, that do the right thing. Huh? Yes. It's a real thing. Okay, so, so, um, yeah, so st- thank you for putting that out there because I don't like to just hear my own voice. It's nice to have a, a class participation. Um, but you've mentioned some good ideas and some interesting ideas which we'll discuss. I mean, Hashem, hopefully we'll have time the to... Is, that's that's a good idea. That's why I don't speak up. <laughs> what? Okay, well, I have too many interesting ideas. Growing up, most people have bread because 90% of the in the sec. Uh, okay, so 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 it, that's, that's actually an interesting thought. I never no, thought. I'm saying when people like I grew up in Northbrook, Beth Shalom is a huge conservative reform shul, and they Tashik's a big thing. 
and everything. Everybody's black, right? So I'm saying that most of I would assume that most of the people out with the so they do the brands. Yeah, what do the women shake? <laughs> you don't, don't want to go there. Okay. Very good. That's an interesting question. Very good. Steve, should I, should I, should I give you attention for the... the, the that's <laughs> um, should I give you attention for what you just said, or should I just pretend you never said no, anything? No, it was... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, very good. So, Metzchem will discuss the bread, the tzitzes will discuss everything. Obviously, women don't have sins that they need to shake off. Um, oh. Um, no, now you're on the right... No, I'm just kidding. So... Tashlich is a minhag. It's a custom. And in fact, believe it or not, it's a very late custom. The earliest mention of the custom is the Maharil, who is the source of many Ashkenazi minhagim. The Maharil was, I believe, 14th century. It's Fardis from Oh, one second. Um, yeah, Maharil was Rabbi Yaakov Molin. He lived in Germany from 1365 to 1427. So many of the Ashkenazim and Hakim come from him, and he is the first mention explicitly of this custom. Unlike most Minhagim or many Minhagim that's which the source is the Maril, Tashlich is very widespread and it has even spread to the Sephardi communities. I believe Yemenite Jews do not do Tashlich, but Sephardim do. And perhaps the reason is because the Arizal did adopt the practice of uh, Tashlich and explained it also Kabbalistically. And therefore, once the Arizal and the school of the Kabbalists accept something, then it often spreads also to the Sephardi communities. Um, it, it is fascinating, and possibly, I'm not an expert, but possibly the only example of a custom that is so of such late origin and yet spread so widely to the entire gamut, almost, of the Jewish people, and even the Reform and Conservative um, communities also do this. Um, some have even, because of this, some have even tried to trace the, the origins back even earlier. Um, there is a Rashi, let's see if I can find it here. Rashi reports a custom that may also be viewed as a precursor to Tashlich and also resembles Kaparis. He describes in the name of the Ge'onim that two or three weeks before Shoshana, the Jews would make a basket would make baskets from palm leaves and fill them with dirt. Then each person would plant beans in his basket. On Erev Rosh Hashanah, he would swing the basket over his head seven times, declare it to be in place of himself, and toss the basket into the river. Um, the very earliest mention of anything that any, in any way resembles Tashlich is actually a posuk in the verse of in, in, the, in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, the prophet, it says how Ezra gathered, this is talking about Rosh Hashanah, and Ezra gathered all the people to the Shar Hamayim, the water gate, which was the gate of the temple that was nearest to the source of water, and over there they read the Torah. So, some have found in this Pasuk in Nehemiah some precursor to the Minhag of Tashlich. But, notwithstanding, and other professors, uh, I don't want to repeat everything, especially some of the ideas come from uh, secular professors and not necessarily... Anyway, what I, the bottom line is that th there's various precursors that people have pointed to, but notwithstanding all of the above, the first explicit mention of the Minag of Tashlich, the way we know it, is, the, like I said before, the Maharil. 
Just a word on the value or the importance of minhagim. Some, sometimes we tend to think that, oh, you know, it's just a minhag. It's not that important. It's not a biblical um, obligation. It's not even a rabbinic obligation. It's just a minhag. So, and we, I think we've, in various, sometimes in the Monday night sitter class and in the Sunday morning breakfast class, we've discussed various categories of minhagim. But Chassidus actually teaches that in a way, a minhag is, I'm not going to use the word more important because it's not more important, but a minhag is more uh, precious or more, to figure out exactly what the right word is, Wrong that deeper. It's in deeper. the Haggadah. I mean, that's why the, um, the questions are reversed in the... Exactly, Bible. right, yeah. Um, deeper, perhaps, than a mitzvah. I heard a marshal once that, um, you know, when your wife asks you to take out the garbage or change the light bulb, that's one thing. And if you're a good husband, you know, if, 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 if you do what your wife asks, so then that strengthens that, that, that that's a good relationship. But the, 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 the true uh, expression of a deep relationship is when the wife doesn't say something explicitly, but she just alludes to it, or she doesn't even allude to it. But you know that that's what she wants, and therefore you go and do it for her. So the same, of course, is true in our relationship with Hashem. That when we do a, what, 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 when, when we do a minag, and it's not just somebody, some individual who decides, oh, I like to do this, I like to do that, but when it's the Jewish people as a whole, minag Yisrael Torah, when a minag develops, and Jewish communities accept this as a minhag, it is demonstrative or ex- an expression of that deep relationship that we have with, with Hashem, where we don't need Hashem to ask us or to tell us what to do, because we're naturally in tune we're naturally in tune with what he wants. Chassidus Dalt Rebbe says this about Hakafas, that even though the mitzvah in the Torah is to be joyous on Sukkot, and the Simcha of Simcha's Torah is only a custom, but yet the Simcha of Simcha's Torah is a much greater joy because that's an expression of a custom, something which the Jewish people weren't told to do, but on our own, so to speak, we, 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 we came up with this minhag. Okay, what are the reasons... So we spoke about ca- about symbolically casting away sins, and we spoke about um, feeding. So we'll get to feeding soon. Um, but let's let's go in sort of chronological order. What the what the various sources for the custom say the reason is. The Maharil says, the, again, the first source, he says, I should actually mention one more thing, because the Maharil is the first source of the Minig of Tashlich, and he talks about the custom to go after the meal on Rosh Hashanah to the, to the uh, seas or the rivers, and he actually does say to cast our sins in there, which is like I said before, paraphrasing this verse, you will cast their sins into the sea. The first mention of anything to do with fish is a little bit later than that. That is in the book called Sefer Minhagim of Terna. 
And that is a little bit later, same sort of era, but a little bit later than the Maharil. Okay, so he talks about seeing fish. What are the reasons for this minhag? So the Maharil, the first reason, he says like this. There's a major theme in the Rosh Hashanah liturgy. We discussed this a little bit last year. We discussed this also in the Siddur class when we learned the Akedah. Is invoking schus avis. Invoking the merit of our forefathers, specifically Abraham and Isaac on Rosh Hashanah, when we talk a lot about the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, which according to many opinions occurred on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and also, in general, the forefathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. There is a Medrash which focuses on the Pasuk, why is it that it took three days? Why did the Avraham take three days till he um, got to the Akedah? Um, so the Medrash says, there's a number of reasons given for why he waited three days. The Rambam in the guide says, uh, the reason, uh, I think it's the Rambam in the guide, says that the reason why Avram waited, why Hashem made Avram wait three days from when he gave him the command to the Akedah until he actually fulfilled it is because he didn't want him to appear as if he did it, um, you know, because he was overwhelmed and he, you know, he, this was a calm, cool and collected um, decision that Avram made and he was in full uh, control and, and full understanding of what he was doing, listening to Hashem's command. But the Medrash says that it was actually the Satan who was trying to do whatever he could, whatever he could to block, to disturb Avram from fulfilling this. And it says that the Satan made itself into a river, which blocked the path for Avram Avinu to cross. And Avram was not deterred, and he continued walking into the river, and it was getting deeper and deeper and deeper until it got to his neck. At that point, Avram Avinu lifted his eyes to the heavens, and he said, Master of the universe, you have chosen me, and you have revealed yourself to me, and you have told me that I am a lo- Yochid, I am the only one, I'm the only one, Hashem, I'm the only one, and you, Avram, are the only one through whom my name will become known into, the wor- into this world. Therefore, I command you to um, bring your son Isaac as a sacrifice. And I'm doing your command. And Bo, Maim, and Nafesh, it says that Avram said the Pasuk from Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 69, um, I think, that uh, the, the, the waters have come up to, up to my soul, up to my life. If me or my son drown, who will be able to fulfill your command and who will um, uh, publicize your name in the world? At that instant, the river dried up and disappeared and Avram was able to continue to do the Akedah. Says the Maharil, again, the first source for the meaning of Tashlich, the Maharil says that the reason we go to the rivers of Rosh Hashanah is to invoke, he does, he does, sort of paraphrase this puzzle, but that's just sort of parenthetically, what he actually says is, the reason to go to a river on Rosh Hashanah is to invoke the schus of, um, to invoke the merit of Avram and Yitzchok who crossed the river going to the Akedah, and this is very much in line with many of the piyutim of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, of the Rosh Hashanah Machsa. Um, later on, there is uh, somebody who adds, uh, he brings it here, B'Shem Damesek Eliezer, a much later source, who connects this also to the schus of Yaakov Avinu, Avram and Yitzchak, we said, but he says water is also connected to Yaakov, because Yaakov Avinu, it says, Kibimakli I crossed the Jordan with just a stick, that he had sort of mysterious nefesh, uh, just relying on God, um, and not... Um, uh, 
relying on God and you know and, and cross the river with nothing. And that's why in Tashlich, and in, 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 if you look in the Siddur, it's on number ten over here. Show faithfulness to Jacob. We explicitly also mention the the Zchus of Yaakov Avinu. Okay, that is the first reason given for Tashlich. The second, a second reason given for Tashlich, which the Alter Rebbe himself writes in the Siddur, um, in fact, it even says it right over here, on the third line of the introduction to Tashlich, it says, why do we go to Tashlich? By the way, look at this, this introduction of the Alter Rebbe to Tashlich, it doesn't mention anything about casting away sins. It says, what does it say? It says, it's proper to go to a well or spring that contains fish. Why? It says two reasons. First of all, for water symbolizes kindness. And second of all, because fish, ha- because there's fish there, and the fish have an ever open eye. So we're going to the Alter Rebbe. So not, uh, the Alter Rebbe summarizes the minhag. We go to water and fish. Water because it's kindness, and fish has an ever open eye. Now we'll get back to the fish in a moment, but the Alter Rebbe talks here about water corresponding to kindness. It says this in Tanya in many places. Water corresponds to kindness, and therefore another reason to go to water on. Rosh Hashanah in the afternoon is to uh, sort of tune in to Hashem's kindness. A third reason, which focuses again on the quality of water, before we said water um, is kindness, another quality of water is well, another two qualities of water are that first of all, waters go down, a waterfall. Water is always spoken about something that goes down. So it sort of invokes within us the, um, the approach of hachna, of subjugation, and again, a very appropriate um, thing to focus on in Rosh Hashanah. Additionally, another quality of water is also that water doesn't stay still. Water is constantly moving. And like we learned in the opinion in the Fabrengan that we're learning between Menachem and Mayrev, negative qualities, sins that a person have, are not really part of his identity. A Jew's identity is holy and pure. And sins or negative qualities are things which germs, the things which being in this world, which we have to be in this world and interacting with all the things around us, we can sometimes catch germs, we could sometimes be affected by the world around us and have these negative qualities which cause us to sin but they're not really part of us, it's just like the water that's flowing by so again um, no mention yet of anything to do with casting sins into the water we have the merit of the patriarchs, we have the quality of water being connected to chesed, to kindness we have the idea of uh, instilling within ourselves the hachna, subjugation to Hashem, reminding ourselves that our sins and our negative traits are not really our, our, re- our true identity. Yes? Is there something auspicious about the timing of this, that it's after Mincha before sunset? That's a good question. Um, the answer is yes, but I don't know what. Um, in other words, there are various. There are actually various customs about when to do tashlich. Um, some people do it uh, during after Rosh Hashanah. In fact, there was actually I, I forget his name, but Rabbi Mendel Moskowitz always tells me how 
there was just a second, he has something about wanting to do it Yeah, so some, it seems that according to the Arizal, it's very important to do it after Mincha, because that's connected to Yitzchak and the Akedah. Yitzchak is related to Mincha, and um, that's, uh, yeah. And the Altarebbe says to do it after Mincha. So there are various customs of what one to do Tashlich, but our custom is, and it says here this is in accordance with the Kabbalah of the Arizal, to do it specifically that the auspicious time to do it is after Mincha, and again, I didn't really um, um, look into this too much, but just from a cursory glance at this article, it seems that it's connected with the time after Mincha being specifically connected to Yitzchak Avinu. Is that what time the actual Akedah occurred? Is that the part of the day that I'd, he was I don't know if we know what time. The, I don't think so. The Benishchai says hmm. Oh, this is interesting, one second Benishchai says that Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, this also explains why we do it after on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, is that the first day of Rosh Hashanah is the day on which Adam Arishan was created. And it goes through every hour, based on the Medrash, every hour what happened on that day. And the last hour of the day, which is the twelfth hour, because there's twelve hours, yeah, there's always twelve hours in the day, according to the, yeah, uh, the twelfth hour of the day, that is when Adam Arishan was Yotza Bedimus, he came out I don't know exactly what that word means, but that's when he, that was after he was judged for his sin, and he sort of left um, the judgment. And it says in the Medrash, that Hashem says to Adam, this is a symbol for your children, that just like you stood in front of me on this day, and you went out with Dimus, again, uh, there's a key word here that I'm missing, but something to do with leaving the judgment, um, so too your children will stand before me in judgment on this day and leave me Again, on this word, Bedimos, which happened in the last hour of the day. Um, so therefore, he's, the Ben Ishchai says that it's not so important about being after Mincha, more as it being the end of the day. Because that is an auspicious time that to be successful, to be meritorious in the judgment, in Hashem's judgment. All right. Um, though that Rabbi Emanuel Moskowitz likes to repeat B'Shem a, a Rav who used to be, I, don't, I forget the name, but one of the big Rabbonim here in Chicago many years ago, 
who he was very upset by what happened by Tashlech. And many Sfarim actually talk about this, how it's a time when the whole community comes together to one spot, and it's a time when um, often, you know, leads, leads to frivolity, especially when the young boys and girls come together. And therefore, there were many rabbis who seeked to abolish the mass gathering of the masses on Rosh Hashanah and to do it later on during the week, sometime before Yom Kippur, because um, because even because it just led to inappropriate behavior. In the words of this Rav, who Rabbi Voskowitz quotes, we go to. Like it actually happened here in Chicago that there was stuff. Uh, what is stuff? Mm-hmm. We're, 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 you're, saying, you're saying like. I don't know if anything. thought was going to happen. No, I don't know. This is what happens. I mean, go to any Tashlich, you see, go to Tui, and you'll see what goes on. I mean, I'm not talking about the most. I'm talking about the behavior that's not appropriate for a devout Jew and uh, a Rosh Hashanah. You know, especially we're not talking. I'm talking especially going to the wrong bridge. Especially, especially the boy. You know, we're talking about young boys and girls. It's you know, it's a time of the. Um, the he said the way he says it. I haven't been going to you, the fun bridge. You go to <laughs> yeah, we go on Howard. It's boring. <laughs> he says the the Rav, this Rav used to say you go to Tashlich to throw away your Averis and you come back with a new peckle of Averis. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's move on. Um, but who wants to hang out at the bridge on uh, Kedzie and Tzvi? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, Reb Shloim Kluger. Reb Shloim Kluger is uh, recent, uh, pre-war. Uh, no, more than, uh, earlier than pre-war. I don't have my phone on me. In the last couple hundred years, um, and he is uh, written wrote many many books, and he based on the Gemara talks about the, the Gemara says about learning by a river. You should learn Torah by the river, because just like the river. Um, flows, so will your learning flow? I guess that means your learning will have, will perpetuate and you'll remember it, etc. So therefore, he says, based on this, because in Rosh Hashanah we daven so much, so at the very end of the day, we go to the river to make sure that our tefillah should continue perpetuating and being fulfilled for the rest of the year. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go through the whole list of all the various reasons said. There is another reason given that one more reason I'll mention before we get to the fish is that the, there is a pasuk. There is the concept of anointing a king by a river. So he brings this here also. One second. Here. A central motive of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy is the crowning of God as king. We're learning about this in the morning. It is one of the three special themes that compromise the Musaf Amida and has also been associated with Tashlich. In the first book of Kings, King David instructs that his son Shlomo be brought to the Gichon Spring to be coronated. From here, the Talmud in Horeus 12a derives that all kings are anointed at a body of water. This is to symbolize that the new king's reign should have continuity just as a spring flows continually. After Shlomo's anointing, Tzadok the Kohen blew a shofar. Similarly, the Hashanah will coronate king by the body of water and blow a shofar. In the mind that we're learning in the morning, we'll understand in a deeper way what the connection between shofar and coronating a king is. But we see here about coronating a king by a river. Okay, so so far we must have said five or six different reasons for Tashlich. And none of them have anything to do with casting away sins. Yet. There is a safer... No, let's just do a few. Let's just talk a little bit about the fish, and then we'll move on. Um, we know, in general, by the way, 
that Simona Milsa, specifically on Rosh Hashanah, symbolisms are very important. We, we eat things, for example, we eat the head of a fish, we eat pomegranates, we eat various things, um, and these sort of small symbolic things become very important. And I believe that this is also evident in the Minhag of Tashlich, that all these different symbolisms become very important in, the, in, in building this Minhag. Um, now, so we've spoken about why we go to a river. Um, it says here also to go to fish. Why fish? So in this, in this, here in the Maxar it says fish have an ever-open eye. Um, so what's the idea of not having an ever-open eye? That we remind, the Altarabba doesn't say, but I think the idea is that we're reminding, we're seeking here to invoke the 13 attributes of mercy. So we go to fish, we have an ever-open eye, and here we uh, sort of invoke the mercy of God, which is the guardian of Israel does not sleep nor slumber. Um, Also it says that fish, Jacob blessed his grandchildren, Menashe and Ephraim, they should be many like fish, in the land, what's the idea of fish? That because fish are hidden, there's a concept of ayin hara. When somebody, when, when people, when something is very successful, we say, we don't want any sort of bad omen to the success of whatever it is to arouse bad at, <coughs> negative attention. So fish don't need to worry about negative att- attention because nobody could see them. So that's also another reason why we go to invoke the mercy of the Yudgim Tzarach when we speak about fish, because fish are not affected by ayin hara. Um, there's an additional reason which is brought um, in various brings this various bring various versions, but the idea is all the same. That when we talk about fish, we rem- we remember how fish are so um, vulnerable to people coming to trap them to catch the fish, and so also we remind ourselves about being um, susceptible to the trap of the Sahara of the evil inclination, um, and we want to do teshuva to make sure we we, we, we don't fall prey to the Yitzhahara. Okay. None of these reasons that we've said so far, and that's basically, you know, we can always find more reasons or whatever, but none of them have anything to do with casting away our sins. Now, some of them... Except for the, what it's called. Oh. Some of them, one second, I'll get to that. Some of them do relate to teshuva. For example, this last thing I said about the fish, because we remind ourselves of being trapped. We don't want to get trapped in the in the net of the Yetzirah. We want to do teshuva. Or um, what were some of the other ones we said, which had at least somewhat of a connection to teshuva? Um, the water... Less, less, less explicit. Um, but um, but what about the name? The name is Tashlich. Now there is actually a medrash. This medrash has nothing to do with the custom of Tashlich, but it sort of records a conversation how Hashem says to the Jewish people that you'll do teshuva and your sins will be swallowed up from the from the world. And we say, where will you put the sins? And he says, I'll throw them into the sea. And this is alluded to in this verse. This verse says that you, meaning Hashem, will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. But the Medrash says, this is when we do Teshuvah. So Dan very correctly spoke about 
symbolically casting our sins into the sea. And the concept of throwing our sins into the sea is symbolic because there's no such thing as throwing sins into the sea. The only way to get rid of sins is by doing teshuva. If there's a symbolism here about throwing the sins into the sea, it's because of this metaphoric um, idea which is expressed by the prophet Micha that when we do teshuva, our sins will, quote, be cast into the sea. Right? So, so that's, wh- that, that's, where, that's where the idea comes from. And I think that, pe- you know, I, <laughs> I, uh, I was at Tashlich two years ago by Tui, and I saw two women there who didn't really look like they, quote, belonged. And I went over to them and I said, good yomtev. And um, one of them actually wasn't even Jewish, one of them was. But very, they seemed completely unaffiliated. But they were casting their sins into the sea, and they were reading some. I'm not sure what they were reading, and I had the opportunity to blow shofar for them over there. Um, so this idea of casting sins into the sea somehow is the thing that caught on, and became, you know, in various very. You said even before the reform and conservative, all sorts of across the spectrum of Judaism, people are doing this. But of all the reasons and of all the ideas behind Tashlich, the thing that's sort of caught on is casting our sins into the sea. But of course, in Judaism, there's no such thing of casting your sins into the sea. It's just a metaphoric way of saying we're doing teshuva. Now, we also do some sort of symbolism. Like we said before, symbolisms are important. And sometimes when we do the symbolism, perhaps it etches in within us. It impresses upon ourselves the importance of it. So that's so that's the idea of casting into the depths of the sea. I mean, it makes more sense than like. What are we casting? So, like I said before, we went through many reasons. Why do we go to Tashlich? The answer is there. Are, okay, let, let, let's put this like this. Why do we go to Tashlich? If you ask me, why? What are we doing at Tashlich? The Alter Rebbe says in the Maxa two primary reasons. Number one, because water symbolizes kindness, and number two, fish symbolize the ever open eye of Hashem. Those are the two reasons that the Alter Rebbe chooses to put in the Siddur. Of the tens of reasons mentioned in various books, those are the two reasons which the Alter Rebbe picks to put in the Siddur. And I would say that therefore those are the two reasons which the Alter Rebbe sees are most important, to, or most relevant to us. I should also point out that the Siddur, it's very important to realize this, the, the Siddur, first of all, the Siddur is something, it's not like a Shulchan Aruch, it's not a deep book, Anything, this is a principle, any notes of instruction or reason that the Al-Tabra writes in the Siddur are, are, are designed to be relevant and applicable to, any, to, to everybody, right? The Al-Tabra is not giving you here a class on Tashlich and telling you all the reasons and all the... The Al-Tabra is saying, talking to the layman and saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, you're supposed to go to the river because water symbolizes kindness and fish, the ever open eye. And there's actually, there's a famous... Oh, hold on, I'm getting to the shaking the scissors in a minute. Um, um, the, 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 the one of the psukim that we say at Tashlich because is this verse that says you will cast the sins into the depths of the sea, which the reason we say it is because it's corresponding to the 13 attributes of mercy which we are seeking to invoke. And somehow that word Tashlich became the name of the prayer. There is a sefer called Shar HaKoylo. Shar HaKoylo was written by Rebbe Vrom David Lavut, the grandfather of the Rebbe. 
where he goes through the Alter Rebbe Siddur and focuses on all these things, these little instructions that the Alter Rebbe says and elaborates on them and analyzes them. And he says like this, quote, It is not the usual practice of the Rebbe, referring to the Alter Rebbe, to put reasons for customs in his Siddur. Usually he just tells you what the custom is, he doesn't tell you what the reason is. Nevertheless, he sees it necessary or important to tell you the reason for Tashlich. Why does he do so? Because in the Siddur of the Arizal it says that the reason you should go to the well is to throw your sins there, to cast your sins into the well. But this is not relevant to the layman. This is only relevant to people who are great experts and understand the great secrets of Kabbalah. Um, as the Arizal explains there, that this talks about the Metzulis Yam Ha'elyon, which that's some sort of Kabbalistic phraseology, which I don't know what it means. But Hamoin, the masses, ha- mistakenly think there's a myth out there that says that we're throwing our sins into the water. And many people scoff at this. How could you, how could you throw your sins into the water? And therefore the Alter Rebbe deviated. For, in other words, he's saying there is some sort of Kabbalistic idea which has to do with throwing your sins into the water, but that's not what we that's some Kabbalistic thing which great Kabbalists understand, but it doesn't mean that you're throwing your sins into the water, what we would mean when we say that and therefore because this mistake has sort of, this myth has developed that people think you could throw your sins into the water and other people scoff at this concept the Alter Rebbe deviated from his usual practice not to put reasons in the Siddur because he had to put a reason other than throwing your sins into the water because he wants to remind us that we're not, this is not about throwing sins into the water. So call it something else What are we calling it? Not Tashlich. What does Tashlich mean? Tashlich means Tashlich means that Hashem will cast our sins into the depths of the sea, which is corresponding to one of the 13 attributes of mercy. Right? This is not about us casting our sins into the sea. This is about Hashem having mercy on us um, and forgiving our sins. So, at the very most, the name Tashlich reminds us of Hashem having mercy on us and forgiving our sins, which, as, as we know, depends on us doing teshuva. If we do teshuva, Hashem has mercy on us and, casts our, uh, uh, and, and forgives our sins, which we could refer to metaphorically as casting our sins into the water. So this is not about us throwing our sins to the water. Right? Hashem throws them in the water. <laughs> well, uh, yes, yes, but you don't need to... Again, you don't need to go to the water for Hashem to cast your sins in the water, you, right? You need to do Teshuvah for Hashem to cast your sins into the water. And we need to change the name of this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Tashlich refers to this, to this verse, which is number 9 over here, which is... Correspo- the, 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 the point is that it corresponds to the 13 attributes of mercy. Okay. Shaking care. <laughs> Nowadays, there's, there's all sorts of... Yeah, change your name. It's not a big deal. Okay. Just want to make sure if I haven't left out anything important. Checking the titi. We're getting to changing the titi in a minute. Oh, you're doing okay. No, you want to change the name, you get into all sorts of licensing issues. <laughs> <laughs> the publishers would love it. Everybody would have to buy a new mats. No, they you can get them they, on our side. No, they put the tape on. <laughs> okay. There's no question, I, I'm sort of, maybe I'm a little bit exaggerating, there's no question that the name Tashlich 
is related to this verse that says Tashlich Hashem that Hashem will cast our sins into the depths of the sea, and that there's some symbolism in going to the sea to do that. But like I've demonstrated to you, both from all the early sources which talk about Tashlich, none of them mention this idea, and the Alter Rebbe himself in the Siddur doesn't mention this idea either. So, and, and Judaism doesn't believe that you could just cast you. We don't even believe in confessions. So, I mean, the, no, I, I mean, confession the way it's done in other religions, not just by confessing, it's all taken care of, right? In, in, in Yiddishkeit, there is one way and one way only to fix what we've done wrong, and that is teshuva. Teshuva comes together with confession, that's true, which perhaps... We'll talk about it another time. But, right, there's no such thing, right? At the very most, this is some sort of symbolic thing to remind us to do teshuva, right? Like we say, remind us to do teshuva because we're casting our sins into the sea, remind us to do teshuva so that we don't get trapped into the nest of the, uh, the, the net of the Yitzhahara, however you want to do however you want to call it. But the way it's present, the way the Alter Rebbe presents it to us in, in the Machzor is that we recite these verses to invoke the 13 attributes of mercy, and we go to water, which symbolizes kindness, and we also go to a place where there's fish to remind us of the ever-open ever eye of Hashem. By the way, there is another thing, another element of Tashlich, which very few people um, have the opportunity to, to fulfill nowadays. And I'm even surprised that they've actually taken out over, over here. The Alter Rebbe writes it in the Maksa, but they've taken it out over here. And that is that it's best to do Tashlich outside the city. It says to go, the Alter Rebbe writes that you should go to a well or a spring outside the city. The Alter Rebbe doesn't say why to do it outside the city, and I don't know of anyone else who says to do it outside the city. You don't want your sins that you cast polluting the water yeah, and the say. Yeah, so you see how it becomes, people become so obsessed with casting well, your sins. I sin. mean, we do so many goofy things this time of year. I mean, we, 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 we sit in a shack for a week, we, we walk around shaking bushes in all different directions with a lemon. I mean, you know, people, uh, people want to have like some concrete, I mean, why are we doing this? It's like, you know, why do we keep kosher? And why, I mean, it's just You're like, going it's because like water symbolizes kindness and we want to invoke the, mer the compassion of Hashem, the 13 attributes of mercy. I don't understand why that's, why that's any less concrete than casting your sins into the water. I think I think that's a lot more concrete. Actually, makes a lot more sense to me. Well, I'll be convinced once I find out why we shake the tzitzit. Okay. And what, and what women shake if they don't have tzitzit. Okay. Um. Yeah, so again, I, I, I think I mentioned, the sources talk about doing it outside the city. They don't explain why, to the best of my knowledge. And practically speaking, it's not something that is um, usually doable in today's day and age, where we live in the big city. Well, if someone had Tsaris, didn't they have to go outside the city until they were healed up? Or they had to contemplate their sins outside the city and kind of isolate themselves. So That's could an be interesting idea. Going outside the city reminds sort of a resemblance of the symbolic of being isolated. It's an interesting idea. Only interesting, not good. <laughs> good in <interesting>. the <laughs> It's a good idea. 
Okay. Shaking off the tzitzis. So in the Siddur it says we shake the corners of our talis cotton. Um, the earliest source for this is in the Priyetz Chaim, written by Reb Chaim Vital, the student of the Arizal. And he says the reason that after that you should, it doesn't say your tzitzis, it says you should shake your garments. And he says, because when a person does an Avera, there are clippers, there are clippers, we all know what the word clippers means, which attach themselves. Impurities. Impurities, forces of impurity that attach themselves to us um, when we do Averas. And therefore we shake off our garments to sort of, again, symbolically shake off those forces of impurity which attach itself to us. Not, which is just like the minhag of Kiddush Lovana. After Kiddush Lovana, familiar with this? After Kiddush Lovana, we shake our tzitzis. Yes? Why? Because, mm-hmm. sorry? Somebody want to go? No, no, don't, don't do it. Just keep going. I'll look later. Right, but I'm, I'm, after Kiddush Lovana, you also you shake your tzitzis. Again, the, the, whenever we shake the tzitzis, it's more about shaking the, the garments. I'm not sure why the minhag is specifically the tzitzis, but it's about shaking your garments. And if you don't have uh, tzitzis, like for, if a woman does tashachan on tzitzis, so you just you shake your garments. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, I've seen in some places as this myth of casting our sins into the into the water has grown, so people empty their pockets. I've seen people do that. Yes. People emptying their pockets. It's like we have our sins in our pocket, right? This is a kabbalistic minhag, which involves talks about clippers which attach themselves to our garments and we shake them off. Again, it's symbolic. We can't really shake anything out. There's no actual, this is not like, you know, I dry cleaned my suit before Yom Tov. It's not about, yeah? It's a symbolic thing. And we also do it after Kiddush Lavana because the Kitru Kalavana, um, I'm not even sure exactly what that means, if it has something to do with the moon, whatever. Again, it's Kabbalistic concepts, and like I read to you before from the Shara Kedal, that you, these Kabbalistic concepts are usually beyond um, the layman's understanding and practice. Um, there is a... Oh, I, I didn't see this before. Noyek Katsun Yosef. Noyek Katsun Yosef is also a very important um, early book on customs. And over there he says that the prophet Zechariah refers to those clippers which are born as a result of our mis- wrongdoings, the Prophet Zechariah refers to them as clothes. As what? As clothes, as begodim, clothes. And therefore we shake them to, you know, again, to, to, get, to, to remind us to, to get rid of those clippers. And then, if you want something which is and it's remotely connect, or a little bit more connected to casting of sins, he brings from Mati Ephraim. Mati Ephraim is a halacha sefer, which is most famous for the halachas of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. And he says, The reason why we shake our clothes is a mere remez, a mere symbolism. Lossy slave, that we should take it to heart. To get rid of our sins. Or the chapis to do some soul searching and to examine our behaviors from that day and forward that your quote garments should be white and clean of all um, sin right so the shaking of the garments is um, about 
symbolically shaking off the clippers or the sins, reminding ourselves to think. And again, it, 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 it's, it's a symbolism, and it's very important. Like I said before, there's the importance of a minhag, but we shouldn't get into our heads this sort of hocus-pocus idea that Judaism doesn't believe in hocus-pocus. And then he brings here Besidir Abshabsi, which is also a siddha based on Kabbalah, and based on that, the Alter Rebbe says, and it's brought in Sefer Menhagim, that which that we choose of of our garments, which garments do we choose to shake? It is the tzitzis, right? But if you don't have tzitzis, or if a woman's doing tashlich, then she should just shake her garments. There's no such thing as emptying pockets, as far as I am aware of. Okay, now the last thing which we have to discuss about tashlich is feeding the animals. Now, to cut a long story short. It's forbidden to feed animals on Shabbos and Yom Tif. We've actually gave, we did a series of classes of, uh, probably about a year ago about pets uh, or animals in general. On Shabbos and Yom Tif, it's forbidden to feed animals that do not depend on you for their food. So if you own a dog or a cat and um, the dog or cat, actually the Alter is the dog may be an exception to the rule. A dog you may be allowed to feed even if it's not dependent on you. But basically, if you have an animal that's in your possession that's dependent on you for its food, then you're allowed to feed it on Shabbos and Yom Tif. Otherwise, you're not allowed to food, feed an animal on Shabbos and Yom Tif. Um, and uh, addition, actually, on Yom Tif, it's more strict than Shabbos, because on Yom Tif, there's an additional reason for the prohibition against feeding animals, and that is that you may come to trap them. On Shabbos, we're not concerned that you would come to trap an animal, because what are you going to do with a trapped animal on Shabbos? But on Yom Tif, if you start feeding the animal, or the fish, for example, you might say, oh, I better tra- I, could, I could trap this fish right now and take it home and cook it, because you're allowed to trap and cook animals on Yom Tif. And therefore, the prohibition against feeding animals is even more severe on Yom Tif. Now, again, the Minhag, I don't want to call it min- the Rashba, there's a Rashba, I think, is it Rashba, who says that the word Minhag is the same letters as the word Gehenim, hell. Some Minhag, some Minhagim we say, Minag Yisrael Torah, Minag is very holy and very important, but if it's an erroneous Minhag, then we say this is Minhag, which is, it's a custom out of hell. So, Minhag Oisius Gehenim, somehow, because this concept of throwing our sins into the water gained popularity, so this somehow developed into, and people didn't have the tzitzis or the pot, so we decided, okay, we're going to feed the fish on Yom Tif. So besides not having any source in any of the customs of Minhagim of feeding fish, um, uh, uh, it's actually forbidden to feed the fish on Yom Tif. So, and many we find, uh, but <laughs> the, the custom to feed the fish is not just reform and conservative. It used to be a very popular custom even amongst very devout Jews. And we find that many of the early um, very uh, Apostim um, tried write very sharply against it. And you could see that they were doing what the, whatever they could to uproot this minag because this minag is a mistake, minag oisius gehenim. In the same context, they also talk about carrying. And I should just mention this, is nothing, uh, carrying on Yom Tif. Um, by the way, in this particular article that I'm, the, 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 one of the articles I read to prepare this class, he says that soft soft, we see that people do feed the fish, so let's try and find the limutzchus, let's try and find that there's a heter for them to do it. Um, none of his Ideas here are very convincing. Um, and he himself is not convinced by them. He's just trying to bring it because 
so many people do it, so he wants to save, he wants to be Milam and he wants to, okay, so, but uh, anyway, the bottom line is it's forbidden to do that. In that context, the Paschum talk about carrying out the Erev, and I'll just finish off with this, a general note is coming up a lot of Yom Tevim, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, carrying on Yom Tev. Now, I've mentioned this a number of times before, but we'll mention it. On Yom Tev, unlike Shabbos, on Yom Tev you are allowed to carry um, things that you need on Yom Tev. Now, if you live in Chicago and you use the Eruv, so then you could carry it, then, 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 then you use the Eruv, so you could carry whatever you want, you don't need to think about it. But if you don't use the Eruv, or if you live in a place where there's no Eruv, is that correct? Looking at me, yeah. Yeah, no, I, there's no Eruv in Evanston as of yet. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, they're working on it. Um, but if you live in a place where there's no Eruv, or if you don't use the Eruv, so then you can only carry things that you need on Yom Tif. Right, you can't just carry, right? So if let's say you go out with your stroller and you have a hundred things underneath the basket of the stroller that have been, right? You have to clean it out. Only things that you need now, today, can you carry in Yom Tif. And the most obvious application of this is when you have two days Yom Tif. Now, each day of Yom Tif is considered se- a separate day. You can't carry, just like you can't cook on the first day Yom Tif something that you're not going to use f- until tomorrow, you can't carry on the first day Yom Tif something that you need, that you're not going to use until tomorrow. Right? So when is this the most obvious? Your keys, right? If you go to Mincha, let's say on the first day Sukkot, you go to Mincha in Shul, and you're not coming back until after Ma'ariv, that's the second day. When you carry your key to Mincha, first of all, you should take off, when you carry your keys in Yom Tif, you should take off the keys that you're not going to use. Only, you know, you have, you have your all other spare key. Okay. The car key may even be Muktza, but whatever. Even, you should take off the keys you're not using. But if you go to Mincha, you can't carry your house key to get back into your house because you don't need that until tonight, which is the next day of Yom Tif. So therefore, it's recommended to use your Shabbos belt on Yom Tif as well so that you don't end up carrying the key at a, at a, at a thing when, it, when it's not allowed. Now, there is a special rule that you could carry more than you need. So if you, need, if you want to have tissues on you, you don't say, oh, I could only carry three tissues because that's the maximum I'm going to need. You could take a whole pack of tissues. Or if you have kids... Um, you can take a whole pack of wipes and diapers and whatever it is. I think you take a whole pack of kids. But, um, <laughs> um, no, that would be a pack of wolves. No, just kidding. So, <laughs> um, but, but you can't take things that, um, you know, if you're going somewhere for the second night, Yom Tif, uh, take with your pajamas because afterwards you're going to need to get into pajamas at the host's house. No, that's, uh, that's for the next night. That's a separate cheshman. Again, if you use the air, you don't need to worry about this. Um... Okay, it's 9.30. If you... Hold, hold on one second, Ariel. So, anyway, I hope I have shed some light and meaning onto the Minag of Tashlich. Steve, I hope I haven't just confused you. I hope it's also been uh, uh, informative and, and, and meaningful. That was very interesting. And um, I'm yet to People share... People don't know what they're missing. I'm yet to share next week, I would like to talk 